This week, we talk with Aaron Zanke about training for a race versus what happens when the starting pistol goes off, and it's time to leave it all out on the track. Race day. Let's get into it. Hey, Aaron. Hey, what's going on? Like our, like our custom bumper? That intro we had yeah. we had that we had Van Halen do that. Yeah, no, I like it. It's pretty actually. Awesome. Uh, I really like the warm up before it too, but nobody else gets to hear that. <laughs> That's secret. All right, well, um, Dewey's really going to lead this conversation because I'm a total. I don't even want to say noob. What's what's level lower than a noob as far as running? I hate running. Yeah, you're, you're in that category. I'm running. I'm running ignorant. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever I can only be described as that, but it's blissful. Um, I've I've heard that. I hear it's people. Blissful. No, your ignorance is blissful. Oh yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, yes, very. very. Good. So, but before we get into that, um, the the nitty gritty race talk, um, just give us a little bit of your background, Aaron. Like where you're from, where you're currently living, and and how you got interested in nutrition and fitness in general. Oh goodness. Uh, well, you know, played sports when I was growing up. Um, but I actually felt like they failed me as an adult because they didn't teach me how to be fit. They just kind of taught me how to play games. Mm. Um, what were so your sports? A, say again. What were your sports of choice back when you were a kid? Like team sports or? Yeah, mostly team sports. I played ice hockey from the time I could put skates on my feet. So about four, I was in a big car accident when I was three and a half. So when the cast came off, it was like sneakers and skates were the first two things that went on my feet. I played that uh, right up until college. Um, I played a little bit of everything, really. Uh, the sports that I was actually good at, football, soccer, tennis, volleyball, wrestling, um, and, of course, hockey. And then I, I played a few others, but... You know, they only lasted a few years, and they weren't my cup of tea, I, I suppose. <laughs> For my money, I've always, I've always thought wrestlers were, like, the overall fittest athletes. Now that you've played a bunch of sports, would you agree or disagree with that? I would disagree. I think it's such an unhealthy sport because <laughs> oh, of the, the weight. Uh, uh, yeah, the weight yeah. cutting and trying to hit. I mean, I remember putting on a full decked-out thing of winter clothes and then putting extra winter clothes over that and then putting trash bags on and running around to sweat it out so that I can make weight. Yeah, that is crazy. That is a crazy piece. I think they've pulled back on that some. How old of a gentleman are you, by the way? I'm 40 now. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, you, you were back in the uh, the medieval times when they were doing yeah. that kind of stuff to kids. I think they've pulled back on that a little bit uh, with yeah. the rest I of it. So. I, I, would, so. I would rephrase that question and, <laughs> and or that statement you made and say wrestlers, maybe not fittest, but toughest. All right. Um, I, I have a simple rule when I was younger, now that I'm a lot more civilized. <laughs> but when I was younger, I used to have a rule that don't fuck with the guy with cauliflower ear. <laughs> right. Because yeah. you will lose every time. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah, they're tough. I mean, they're tough for sure. I think hockey players are up there too. Oh, yeah. without a doubt. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Hockey's such an incredibly rough sport and it's high speed. You know, you, you, that's why the shifts, they don't go over 90 seconds. Yeah. yeah. That's a long and time. And it's the only right? sport where they exactly. legit yeah, allow fighting. Well. They'll legit allow you to like start punching each other. 
yeah. <laughs> and they just let it go. Yep. It's that was the one thing I never really loved about the sport, but it's you know the entertainment aspect of it, and they really do like promote it, but not promote it, yeah. kind of thing. But yeah. only at that level. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is the entertainment factor. So when you were uh, got to college, like when did you start to become aware of, hey, like uh, I need to take some ownership of of my own uh, fitness and nutrition? Like was it in college or after? No, it was after. It was probably about five or six years after. I was actually running into some health difficulties of my own, gaining weight. Mm. Um, I I was actually at 40% body fat. Oh, wow. At one point. What do you got now? Four? And, huh? What do you got now? Four? I I sit single digits most often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about that I for think one second. Five that, years straight at single digits. That's one like thing that. that we that we focus on a lot is a body fat percentage. Talk about going from forty to single digits. That's a Herculean feat. Yeah, it really it really was. And the transition into single digits was actually the the interesting one getting down to the teens was actually relatively easy because mm-hmm. um, I I just found a routine and kind of stuck with it and it was what two thousand eight or two thousand seven no two thousand eight that I did this and it was all in one summer can you give us the thirty second overview of of the plan that that started to you know descend that body fat percentage while hopefully retaining lean muscle? Yeah, it was, um, I started P90X Mm. and I did that religiously six days a week and I was eating. So it was like, I would have one container of yogurt. I would have a couple pieces of bread. I would have, um, usually something like a burger or a pasta dish or something like that. It was really just like smaller portions of the things that I normally ate. And when I went out, I stopped eating the entire appetizer of mozzarella sticks. <laughs> so it's really caloric, <laughs> caloric reduction and really just open your, your burning of calories as well. Yeah. Cause I wasn't really exercising before that at all. Wow. I was one of those people that was like, Oh, well, I don't have time. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing all of this other stuff and I wouldn't go to the gym. And then when I would, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. So I would just kind of like fumble around or just try and go swim or try and lift a little, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't purposeful. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't purposeful. It wasn't structured. Yeah. And it wasn't consistent enough to do anything. Well, right. without, without intent, it can't be consistent. Yeah. No, exactly. Yep. Because then why am I going? What am yep. I doing? Right. Well, let's get into this, uh, the race thing here. Okay, so reason do we brought this up was because we have our big annual race coming up here in a week. And Aaron, you were here a couple of weeks ago, and, and you kind of got to see a little bit of Fargo. So just picture, imagine the whole community just shutting down. And yeah, that's And being wild. a 5, 10, and... Five, ten k, half and full, and they run right outside here. By the way, oh yeah, now all four in the same day. Nope, nope, nope. The five k is Friday night, and then the ten, half and full are Saturday morning, and then they oh. stagger the starts. Nice. And then we have the big Fargo Dome, which is our arena, and we start and finish it in the floor. So we run out of the stadium 
into the community and then we do the route and then we finish underneath back running back into the stadium and they have like a little gate where we cross the finish line and people are in the stands and so it, yeah, it it's awesome. set up very 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 well but yeah it's been going for what a decade or so more than that yeah more yeah, than that's like 15, the kind of thing that can bring years. a lot of people together you know yeah and it's a and it's a boston qualifier so i mean and it's super flat so <laughs> yeah, a lot of fast runners come here and say, I'm heading to Boston because I don't have a single hill. Yeah, there's the nice. definition of flat here. If you visited, you know. Yeah, it was very flat. <laughs> I, I was kind of shocked when Josh and I ran. Well, the, the only we, incline is a, is a driveway. Not, yeah, not right. Yeah, not that's me. not. Yeah, no, it, it, I remember one of the first times I ever sent you one of my Garmin screenshots, and I said, oh, here's my run today. And, Does it track the elevation? Oh, yeah. And then that was what I'm getting at. He replies back, and I'm like, he's going to reply back with, hey, decent time, or, you know, that was a good distance. He replies back with 120 feet of elevation <laughs> <laughs> over, like, 10 miles. Right. Yeah. That was just going up and down curbs. That was that was the one flood dike. Right. <laughs> if I go around the block at my, at my house, I get 250. Jeez. Wow. That's crazy. So... <clears throat> Basically, what we wanted to cover is kind of uh, when you're, you know, all the, like you said, like Dewey says in his uh, little statement here, you know, we're 10 days out, the hay is in the barn, meaning like the prep work has pretty much been done. We're eight yep. days out now. Eight days out now. So, and by the time people listen to this, it'll be a week out. Um, yep. So, you know, how, do, how does the, your prepping differ from when it's time to lay it all out there and go for the gold? Let me start with the kind of a little more detail than that one post. Um, so Aaron, we talk frequently. So you know that I really, I'm inquisitive to a fault. So yeah. I, I'm like, why, why, why drove employers fucking crazy my entire career, <laughs> but okay, I'll do that. But why, what's why? So why am I running slow in training? Why am I running slow in training? Okay. So now training's done, hay's in the barn. Now I have to run the race. Well, the race, and if you if you do any research or do any reading online and look up Hal Higdon or any Runner's World article, you hear race day effort should be moderately to significantly more intense than what your training was. Right. Okay, so let's quantify that. So I asked a bunch of people. Just, well, number one, why? And number two, what are the parameters? Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, I know why. Because it's don't. go time. It's go time. Yeah, okay, yeah. But it's as go as time. It, it should be harder. As the ignorant guy, let me ask Aaron, why? Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, the reality is that is go time. And what you are capable of doing on race day is not something you should be capable of doing in training. Gotcha. That's the whole point of training for it. Is that because uh, the risk of injury is much higher? Well, and, and the fatigue. No, this is your one rep max. Okay. It's just the, right, the problem right. is that everyone looks at endurance differently than they do, say, lifting a weight once, right? Oh, okay. So if you want to deadlift, if you want to pick something heavy up off the ground and you want it to be the heaviest you've ever picked up before in your life, does your do you do that in training? No, no you don't just sit and do one rep you max do like every day. 70, Absolutely not. 70 to 80% of one rep Progressive max. overload. Exactly. And you, you work up toward it and then you do a little deload and you give your body time to recover. And then you walk up to the bar on game day and you go for it. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. So 
in the endurance world, we struggle with looking at game day at because it's such a long event. We struggle with looking at it as a one rep max, right? But this is, it is pushing yourself to the limit of both your physical capability and your nervous system capability. So when you factor in the nervous system capability side of it, you have to, <clears throat> you look at training. And now if you do that repeatedly in training, that kind of effort, you just put yourself into a hole that you can't climb out of. Mm, right. And that's when, that's when injury happens and extreme fatigue sets in and people wonder why. Yeah. Right. An amazing explanation of why yep. now, how do we quantify it? Yeah. So like in, like in lifting, they're always, you know, there's percentages, right? You say yeah. your 70 to 80% of your one rep max should be what you can do for a set of 10 or four sets of 10 or whatever. So there's, you know, it's a lot easier to quantify it. Does that apply to running long distances as well? It does. It does to some extent. Yes. Um, because you're looking at pace. You're also looking at perceived effort and you're looking at heart rate. So you have three different ways that you can quantify it. And there's never one, like one of them is never perfect. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So you kind of have to be watching them all if you want the best results. And that's mostly because there's so many variables that affect each one of them. So like my personal favorite is using heart rate, but then I know I have to tie heart rate to pace and perceived effort because on any given day you know it might be 10 or 20 degrees warmer today right well my heart rate's going to be a little bit higher so maybe today i'll make sure i'm hydrated but then run off of perceived effort and pace so you kind of pick one to focus on and then be aware of the other two you're not neglecting them but right. you kind of have to pick pick one that's going to be your main guide guiding metric yes and I'm a and heart rate. I'm a heart rate. For example, I'm a heart rate guy. It sounds like that's what Aaron is too. So, okay. So yeah, let's oh, say, absolutely. You, let's say you are, if you are that, then what is the recommended kind of uh, overall percentage of uh, practice heart rate versus race day? It depends on your event. Okay. Let's say so, for a regular marathon, 26. Well, no, let's start the 5k. Or 5k. Okay. So the Friday night 5kers hypothetically. I know this is all generalization, but hypothetically, where is that 5K who prepared isn't just going out to run walk with their kids. They prepared and they want to run a sub 20. And what's, what's their intent? So the intent off the start line for a 5K probably has very little to do with heart rate. Because sure. of the shorter distance. Because of the shorter distance. Yeah. Now, if they want to pay attention to heart rate, best case scenario, they're probably going to end up in a top end zone, like the top end of zone four, something like that, which is about 80 to 90% of your max heart sure, rate. Sure. So you give it the first couple minutes, and then you should be in that zone by that point. And then you hold on to that Just for the first couple K and get a sense for how you're feeling, and then you take off. So you, you, you start out the bank, sit in it for a little bit through the midsection, and then give her hell. So kind of like an extended strategy to how you would do one mile. Kind of. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, in the one mile, you're kind of picking a pace and just going. Oh, sure. Because that's what you want to, you know, 
you're if you're paying attention to your heart rate in the one mile, you're probably too late. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like you, even, I don't even start my watch in the one rep mile. Cause sometimes it takes, I mean, realistically in some events it can take up to 10, 12 minutes before your heart rate's really starting to settle in to where it belongs. And that's in some right. of the long right. Events, you know? right. So a 5k kind of demands a bit of a warm up If you really want to pay attention to heart rate off the start line. Sure. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be opposite of the mile then. Cause traditionally what I've been told or taught with the mile is hair on fire at the gun for the first two fifty three hundred 300 meters, and then kind of back in to kind of ease it, settle in. And then for the last 400, 800, just give her hell. Yeah. So it's different than, yeah, definitely different than the 5k. De yeah. Definitely different. Cause you, with the, with the one mile, you're, it's really that third lap more than anything else. Oh, uh, sure. You have to hold on to that third lap. There's this dip yep. that happens yep. because you've got the lactic acid buildup from the first two Leg laps. Legs are completely numb. <laughs> completely. Yeah. They're just yep. getting destroyed. Yep. And that third lap tends to be the one that ruins the time. Sure. That makes the most then, sense. Yep. And then there's the pickup for the final lap. So realistically, if you want the best mile time, you've got those first two quick laps. The third one is the one that you hold on to. Okay, sure. And then you give it hell, everything you've got left in that fourth. Yep. Let's move up to uh, 10K then. So how would you change strategies from 5K to 10K as far as what metric to pay attention to? And this is probably the biggest demographic. The most people the 10K? The the ten, yeah, the most people. It's, it's 10 well, actually, it's five. It actually, the participation goes up as the miles go up. Um, so interestingly, I think this is not that different than the 5K. Sure, okay. sure. But more of the difference happens in the conditioning aspect of it. Oh, okay. So because you're going to be running very similar speeds, very similar heart rates to your 5K. Right but you have to be able to hold on to it for something like that 40 to 60 minute range. And for some people uh, an hour 20, right. You know, so, right. and it really, it depends on your conditioning level and conditioning from a volume perspective. Cause right. if you, if you go out and you're running, you know, two to three miles every day all the time, and you're expecting to like crush this 10 K mile four is going to be a bitch. It's going to be rough. Yeah. <laughs> so I, there's this conditioning side to it. <laughs> well, actually, that's a good question as, a, as an ignorant noob. Um, if, if somebody's, if their target is to run the 10K, you know, and you're six months out, should they, what should they be running daily or, or a few times a week or whatever in order to prep for that 10K? Like you said, you don't want to hit their one rep max. Should they be running the 10K just at a slower pace or should they be doing smaller distances to prep for the 10K? So between the 10K and the half marathon is where it flips. Mm. More often than not, you should be running probably um, the 10K distance or slightly more. At just lower, lighter paces, okay, and building your your conditioning that way. That's more important to feel to feel like to the half 
to feel how long, it's just because it's so important to to know what that distance feels like. No, it's just about the conditioning okay. of the body and the gotcha. legs and the aerobic system. Yep, that's I've done the I've done the half marathon. I don't know seven or eight times now, and I've never ever ran more than ten miles. Yeah. For the half marathon, you don't have to. You can get into that eight to ten mile range, and and then just bust it out on game day. Just gut it out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The last three is always gut check. And, and it's the same thing with the marathon. Like you see a, a lot of plans. They're the top distance will be sixteen to twenty miles. Yeah, eighteen. I hear a lot. Yeah, you're not running that that full twenty six often at all. But in the ten k and the five k, you really should be running those distances without a doubt actually the 5k you should be running double that at least like more in the six to eight mile range more often oh sure i suppose when you're prepping for the full marathon too it just becomes a question of how much time do you have right i mean you can't if you're running that full marathon distance every at every training session i mean that's a huge time commitment right well that would only be once a week oh once a week okay yeah yeah so it's, it's, it's the long frequent. run the once a week long run Gotcha. Okay. But the other runs become, um, they're either shorter, like recovery style runs. So in a, in a marathon training plan, you might have an eight mile recovery run. (laughs) (laughs) I still roll my eyes at, I know. Right. Eight mile recovery. And then you have runs that are designed for speed. You know, you might have some interval work or you might have a threshold run. And the threshold run is something that's going to be more like your marathon pace. But you'll run it at a much shorter distance. And the idea there, and this is kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, you're, not, you're, talking, there, you're talking about threshold being where you're still bumping up against that lactate threshold? Is it, or are you talking about just your personal heart rate threshold? You're not talking about LT training, right? where we're trying to find out what our max lactate threshold is. You're just talking about what our personal threshold might be, right? What do you mean by personal threshold? Just RPE, what your tolerance is? No, not necessarily. Um, It could be a lactate threshold. Okay. Yeah, because you want to be just beneath that. Because I know when I... So for your best marathon pace, you're running just beneath... Just bumping right up to it. Okay. Yeah. Because I know when I pass over my LT, it's hell on earth. Okay. For the noob. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. For the noob, define lactate threshold. Um, it's when you're I'll, – I'll do it for the non-expert guy, and then I'll let Aaron correct me where, I was, where I'm wrong. <laughs> Basically, it's just at that point where your body can no longer flush the lactic acid. It just can't keep up. And how do you know? Is that measurable? Oh, you'll know. <laughs> like, does your Garmin tell you? Uh, it could. Or is it just by like, heart rate? You but, just have to sense the feeling. Well, that's part of the training. You have to find it. Yeah. How do you know when you hit that? The burn. Burn. Yeah, okay. you can't you can't you can't go. The burn continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Okay. So we were talking earlier about the five K and we or sorry, the one mile and we were saying the legs go numb. Right. That's there. If you're you've, if you've there. ever done anything where your leg starts to really burn or like, oh my goodness, it's they're just gone. Like they're jelly. Assault bike. That you've gone beyond your lactate threshold in okay. that moment. Quick story. You know, the Fargo Dome we talked about where the marathon ends up. I helped build that when I was in, in college as a temp job. And one of our jobs was we had to carry these boxes of 10 seat packs 
up the stadium stairs all day oh, long. That's probably your oh lactate threshold. God. It's not. I wouldn't yeah. brag about it. I had to go home at noon. Bad. I had to go home at lunch, and I had to, as an eighteen-year-old, I had to tell the guy, "I got to go home. I literally can't go up another stair." Is <laughs> it just destroyed me? Because you're carrying like fifty pounds, and you know, going yeah. up these stadium steps. So I think I, I, I did hit that thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> that's a good one. Wow. Yeah, that's. Now that I think about it, yeah, you know when you're there. Yeah, you really do. You really do. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, mine is I I'm done. Let me as a as a noob, let me ask this question too. Okay, so, you know, I knew when I was there physically and you know, I had I've just shut down completely. Can you how do you tell between that and just mental lack of mental toughness? Cuz there's probably So I would actually say out. in that moment it might not have been a lactate threshold thing. How dare you? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you, you have uh, volume conditioning as well. Right. <laughs> and so you may have bumped up against a volume threshold. Okay. Where How many reps you're capable of, basically. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yep. And to some extent, that's just conditioning. And then to another extent, that's uh, part of the, the nervous system wiring. At some point, your nervous system's just like, hey, like, I've never done this well, before. And part also... We've reached a limit. But also, too, just to piggyback on that, part of finding and reaching your threat your um your lt is also part of clearing that trash is the amount of um oxygen you can take in that helps clear that lactic acid correct so then he probably wasn't even aerobic so that, that was just probably out of shape and your legs were burning yep because i know part when i when we find when i do once a, every thursday tonight um I'm not going, I'm deloading, <laughs> I'm, I'm tapering, but we we find our lactate threshold when we do aerobic capacity and a huge chunk of it is when I just can't get enough oxygen to maintain that pace. And then I'm like, there, there's my, there's my threshold. Does and, it look similar to Lizzo at the end of her performance on SNL? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see it, but maybe. <laughs> Where like the chest is going in and out because it's just trying to grasp more oxygen that it can possibly take in. Oh yeah, that that is what it looks like. Um, you know, and then when we're when we do the Hinshaw's aerobic capacity, we end up finding our lactate threshold, and we it's strictly ba- in in that methodology for Hinshaw, it's strictly. Uh, heart rate based. Mm. So those of us, we, most of us in aerobic capacity have Garmin's or whoops or Fitbits, whatever. And then we purposely pay attention to what our heart rate is when it's, when we shut down. Yeah. That's a good question. How do you track all this stuff? Do you have a wearable when you're running? Is that a big part of your training and, and the discipline required to well, figure this out? I think tracking it is uh, like for a noob starting out, you're just using formulas and trying to stay on one side or the other of the formula. Mm. Like there, there's some pretty well-known formulas like Maffetone. Oh yeah. The Maffetone 180 formula he's determines the, your aerobic threshold. He's the zone two expert. Yeah. Um, but even his stuff is actually closer to zone three. I think. Is it really? Me, yeah. 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 His stuff is zone three. Um, well, oh, yeah, you're right. He's zone three 
for because if you're fitter, he he mentions being fitter, you can add like ten beats or something. So that would push you into zone three. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah. So what's really cool is he's kind of created these boundaries to help you um, overcome some of the limitations of either being newer or uh, coming from injury or preventing injury, that sort of thing, and giving you an opportunity to advance and even where you're training in your heart rates. So he starts off, what is it, 180 minus your age, mm. and that's your aerobic yep. threshold. So above that, correct, you're starting to to utilize the anaerobic system. And so for me, being 40 years old, that's about 140 beats per minute. Yep. And that puts me square in the middle of my zone three heart rate. Mm. Um, and that the idea with his system isn't that you do speed work and slow work. It's that you just run at this level or just underneath it. And monotonously the conditioning. <laughs> Say again? It, monotonously. It, yes. It's yes. Just, over and over and over again. Yep. And then if you go like six months without injury, you can go up five beats per minute on your heart rate. Right. And look at it. That's what Nick bear did. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. It's incredibly effective. It keeps you away from doing a lot of the really hard, heavy stuff that you don't need to do when you're starting out. Cause you're not one repping. Right. Right. You, you, you can't even like, you don't have the nervous system to really produce it yet. Right. Right. But everybody wants to just jump the gun. And well, just so I explain for the total noobs out there. So the zone is like the, the heart rate ranges. And the idea is that if you're in a certain range for six months, like you said, that during that prescribed 45 minutes or whatever the duration is, that you'll end up covering more distance eventually with the same level of heart rate. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's the thing that's unique about heart rate is heart rate measures your effort, not your pace or speed. Right. It's so you can run at the same level of effort. And as you're improving, you get faster. Right. That's what people are like during my half marathon. Every time I'd go into the gym, they'd be like, how's training coming? I'm like, Oh, it's going really well. How far are you running? I go 90 minutes. Well, how far? Dude, I don't even pay attention. (laughs) I look up, I switch, I start my Garmin and I switch it over to the heart rate screen and it stays there the entire 90 minutes. I just had a stroke of genius and maybe this has like been thought of a million times, but somebody should set their time that they want for their race and run that amount of time and then just be able to cover more and more distance in that same time period, every training session over the course of a long amount of months. I think you just repackaged the Maffetone and what Aaron was saying that it is. I mean, (laughs) kind of. It's the Joshatone. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the Joshatone. Patent pending. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me let me yeah. ask you about this then. So get, let's get to the mental piece because uh, sure. this is kind of what fascinates me about endurance running and probably the main p- reason that I avoid it. Just so, it seems like I'd want to tap out. So I'll tell a little quick <laughs> little little story before that because it goes perfect segue. So I used to jog, trot, shuffle, walk the half marathon for a number of years because I had FOMO and I just wanted to participate in the local community event. And, and it was easier to actually run 13 miles than it was to volunteer for the race because that was a full day. (laughs) So kind of like CrossFit, it's easier to judge or it's easier to compete than judge. Um, but anyways, so then 2000, 
15, 16, I found CrossFit. I started doing CrossFit and I said, screw this running stuff. But then I had that wild hair and Aaron, you and I had met by then. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do the half this year. And all I'm going to do is CrossFit leading up to it. Segue into your question. And were you actually going to try? Yeah. Like you weren't yep. going to just trot? Right. So I was going to, yeah, my best effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so perfect segue to your question about the mental aspect was I PR'd my half marathon by 12 minutes without training one mile. Why? Because CrossFit taught me what tired was. And in the past, when I go, oh, I better walk here for a little bit because otherwise I'm not going to finish. That year after starting CrossFit, I was like, you're not tired. Just keep going. <laughs> so it raised your your level of perceived exertion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was 100% between my ears. Now, I don't, for all the people listening at home, I wouldn't advise doing just CrossFit and then running a half marathon because my feet were destroyed for like two weeks because <laughs> I just not didn't have the volume and my feet and the little muscles and the joints were like, fuck you. <laughs> and it just, it hurt to walk for like two weeks. Yeah, I want to hear from Aaron. How do you tackle the dis, uh, the mental discipline and the mental toughness required? So I think he kind of touched on it um, in a more specific way by saying CrossFit, but there's the idea of doing hard things and building calluses because you do hard things and you, you start to learn where your limits lie and how to bump up against them without jumping over the cliff. And that's really the key is, you know, figuring out how to walk along the edge of the cliff and work as hard as you possibly can without jumping over and in, in CrossFit, you see people jump over the cliff all the time in the <laughs> middle of a four-minute workout. Yeah. It's, it's kind of wild, actually. Yeah. And so you've got to pay attention to that moment that takes you over the edge and slows you down. Because now you're working against yourself when you've gone just that little bit too hard. And it's okay to make that mistake every once in a while, but you, it's kind of like find out where that line you make is, a mistake, right? you got to right. learn from it. You got to find out where the line exists first. Right, right. Yeah. You have to find out where it exists. And how do you find out where it exists? Well, occasionally you fail. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, got a right? red line. you got a red line to know where the line is. Exactly. So, And, and once you do if, find it, it's really, really hard to come back. <laughs> but the other side of that problem, or the other side of that, is that people redline too often thinking it's going to make them better. Right. And you really only get one opportunity to truly redline every week Yep. if you're going to push it. And then the rest of them, you can dance up against where you think your threshold is or you intentionally hold back and go a bit slower just to, to chill out for the day. And what's interesting about that is the, the chill out session. Everybody walks away feeling good, but nobody feels good about the work that they did. Because they feel like the only good work is the work that buries you. Yeah. Mm. I, I thought that. If I wasn't rolling around on the ground, then I did, did I even work out? Right. <laughs> right. And that's the way most people feel about it. I mean, that is, it's like assume the CrossFit position, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and not, not to rail on CrossFit, but because there's a lot of really good things that come out of it. And that's where a lot of my base came from. 
Um, but there's this prevailing attitude and I'm glad to see it somewhat start shifting, but there's a prevailing attitude in, in CrossFit that you've got to be laying on the floor at the end of a workout in order for it to have been effective. Yeah. Huge, huge shift. Well, you see it every day. It's just an extension, the logical extension of that doing hard things talk. Well, what's, you want to be harder than the other guy. And then you got that competition competitive aspect and you got to outdo the guy next to you and all that just, you know, piles in on itself and causes some of those people to just go to extremes. I used yeah. to go to dirt crossfitting and kind of training for the marathon, half-ass training for it. But with CrossFit, especially I used to, and anyone who knows me in CrossFit is just smiling because this is no surprise. Um, <laughs> I was always a, f- a first round hero and I would just go out with my hair, all gas, no break hair on fire. And every single class I was zone 10, even though there is no <laughs> such a thing, but redlined heart rate as max as it possibly could be rolling on the floor that, you know, that metallic kind of blood taste in your mouth and you can feel your heartbeat in your forehead that was my every single day at CrossFit. Now, I do that once a week. Yeah. Now when I run, it's 80 plus, maybe 90% zone two. And I, when I'm done, I can have a conversation like we are right now. And I've ne- and I haven't been this fit ever. You know, destroyed. Yep. Yeah, Aaron, you spoke one thing that, that caught my ear. What you said, uh, if you go, hit the red line, it takes you a week. You get basically a week. You have to recover for a week, a full week, if you're hitting that red line. Oh, if you're hitting red line, real, you might be in a two to three week recovery zone. Wow! Like that's the that's the thing that people don't realize is they're going out and burying themselves every day and digging themselves a two to three week hole every single day. Yep. And like we have you know we have programming one rep maxes and then we're picking the bar back up at 80 percent you know a couple days later right and it's like that's just not that's not appropriate Mm -hmm. because you're talking and then it makes people you know on the mental side of things like we want to feel good and so if you don't in the beginning of that class talk about like okay if you hit your one rep max and you actually really went for it um today's a day that you just want to work at like 50% yeah. or 60%. You just want to work up just to something move. that's comfortable right. and, and takes your joint through motion and creates the stimulus of having load on it because that's all we're here for as part of the recovery to tell your body how we want it to recover. That's what we're here for today, not to, to cram in another strength session. Right. right. Yeah, it makes sense because, uh, you know, you're just <clears> – <throat> it's just reaches diminishing returns and you're not building, you know, like you ultimately want to be always progressing. So in in those terms, in layman's terms, if what that essentially looks like is I'm, I'm training for the half marathon. If I run out on Saturday and I do 10 miles hard, hard, I probably shouldn't or won't be able to go until next week. Right. So I'm, you know, people are like, then you, the next day you got to run will be Tuesday. Well, guess what? When I go to run on Tuesday, I ain't going to be worth a shit. 
<laughs> they probably won't even be able to go. Yeah, you don't want that recovery period to be longer than, you know, when when the race is in that recovery period, then you're only going to be end up hurting yourself. Right. As far and as now this time. is what the easy stuff is for. Right. So this right. is critical, right? So, and we can, we can compare this to anything. It could be bodybuilding. It could be CrossFit. It could be running. Mm-hmm. If you go hard on Saturday, you have to go easy after that. Right. And so... <laughs> You get people that that want to go hard all the time, so you go hard on Saturday, and then well, you have to run on Sunday now. Well, you know, I can't. I'm not feeling it today. I can't go as hard, so maybe I'll just skip it. Yep. And then we start losing consistency because there's this obligation to perform. Right. Know? And so you end up just creating an even bigger hole where every time you have to you you show up, you're feeling like you have to perform. But then you're not doing the the lesser the uh, lesser effort work, right? And just showing up and going through the motions, right? And what's what's interesting is that the showing up and going through the motions is actually the more important work. Exactly. Yeah, because that's, that's a large chunk of your year is doing that, it, right? And what? nobody has framed it because it's way. not sexy. It's not. It's not sexy, it's, but it's fun. Right. It is. It is. And and where it's fun for me is, you know, it's okay to. Well, not. it's more comfortable. It is, and it's so, so you should much embrace more that. Yep. And it's boring as shit. I mean, <laughs> running in at 125 beats per minute for 90 minutes is not overly exciting. Um, <laughs> That's but, what got me outside, actually, and yo, like loving yeah. the trails and yep. stuff like that. Yep. That makes a huge difference. I find huge myself difference. But doing myself. But lives little, in Fargo, so yeah, he's kind of yeah. screwed. Screw, he's screwed as far as scenery goes. Well, we can go down by the river. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I find myself going faster when I get outside when I stop paying attention. Um, yeah, I start looking at the birds and the trees and the scenery and getting caught up in the sunlight and how nice it is out. And the next thing I know, I'm like at 165 beats and. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, I don't need to be running at 8 30 right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going too fast. Maybe, going maybe too it was fast. a 5K, but I got to do eight here. Um, perfect segue. We still haven't answered the question. 42 minutes in, and we still haven't answered the question. So, how do I keep myself from jumping out in, on next Saturday and looking at the birds and the scenery and enjoying the sun and look down and be at 165 on race day, at, at you mean. three and a half miles in? On actual race oh. day, right? Sorry about that, guys. No problem. No, you're good. I'll, I'll, I'll re-ask. So how do I keep myself from jumping out, getting caught up in the birds and the trees and the, and the people around me who are running a little faster? The phone and all of a, yeah, the competition. Yeah, I'm at two and a, now I'm at two and a half miles, three and a half miles, just past the first water station, and I'm at 165, and I still got 10 miles left. Yeah. That's uh, – so you're, you're running the half, right? Yep. Okay. So for the half, it's, it's really, you're holding yourself back in the beginning based on, based on heart rate and perceived effort. Sure. And I say based on both because. That's hard though. Cause RPE in the beginning is very great. Hard. Now you, you, I feel great. You, have you been practicing specific paces? Yes. Okay. So if you've been practicing specific paces, then you can also hold yourself back on pace. Okay. Because you want the first two miles to be slower than your race pace. Yeah, okay. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 and rarely does that happen. 30 seconds slower. Yep. Mm. 
than your than your actual race pace. The one trick for the people who are running on Saturday who don't know how to do that that works for me, and I stumbled upon it accidentally because I was late. Start in the back. Right. Well, I, the closer I start to the front, uh, I, I know, uh, but but for us, yeah, but you're speed <laughs> de- Boston Marathon guy. You're a speed <laughs> demon. We're the people who need to start out at like. 10, 15, 10, 30 for the first two miles can't start up with the 720 mile. Again. Are you saying if you start in the back, then you won't have people constantly passing you, which will make you want to go faster and not do well, you your slow you, pace. You won't have, because what I'm, what I'm, it's intrinsically, mentally, for me, maybe this is just me, but I doubt it. I think it's probably pretty normal. At least I hope it is. But if I start towards the front and you look at the pace signs, because people carry signs mm. and they run the exact pace or where you'll finish that event. If I accidentally, I started towards the front because I wanted to be up by all the people who look like runners <laughs> and... And I'm standing next to the sign with that's, you know, 740 pace. And I'm like, well, let's go. And then I start running with them and they'll, you'll draft. They'll right. pull you with them. Yeah. And you won't even realize and you're you doing it. You don't want to go. No, 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 but I do. And then, I, <laughs> then mile three when I, or mile two, when I get that first water break, I'm walking. Yeah. It's a little bit of mob mindset right there. For sure. So you're saying the, you're in the so, back, then people, you, you, Nobody's passing you either, and you just kind of in your own. You can kind of stick to your own plan. Yes, or as they say, run your own race. Kind of has their own way of running it. So usually they'll have um, corrals or pace signs. Yeah, we got, and you can kind of put yourself if you put yourself in an appropriate pace category where where you belong, then you should be pretty good. Yep, and typically where I've been for I finished on pace and uh, on my goal or ahead of it, I always start just behind the pace I want to finish. And then I about half, but at the turn I pass that sign and then I just make sure that sign never passes me. (laughs) Yeah. So it, that's my starting off slow. And then speaking of race day, Aaron versus practice, how much does the competition aspect and, you know, versus having blinders on sticking to your plan, you know, how do you weigh those two? Elements, because obviously you want to place high, yeah. as high as you possibly can, but without digging a hole for yourself and screwing your whole plan up by just going balls out the whole way. You, it, you should be sticking to a plan essentially through the first half, and then trying to figure out after you've finished that first half, can I go faster? Or do I need to stay here and and try to hold on? Because at that point, you're essentially estimating your body battery, right? right. What's left in the tank? Will I be able to give it hell? Or am I just going to be able to, to like fight in order to hold on to what I'm doing? Right. And that's all about the training and knowing where that cliff is. It's all about the cliff, yeah. Because yep. it, it, often, if you taper... Um, if you taper going into the race, often on game day, you'll surprise yourself. Right. That's why you don't want to go one rep max within a week of the actual event, right? Because the even, that recovery time. Or even, exactly. not even one rep max in, in, in true fashion of t- actually tapering. You want to just start coming off of where you were even on your easy runs. Well, that's a good uh, question is how – uh, close to the actual race day, should you have done 
you know, a balls out red line, one rep max type race, what it, you would say like two, three weeks out. Oh, your last threshold run is probably going to be a week and a half out. Okay. So good to, to two weeks out. Okay. And then the week of the event, you do some much smaller, quick intervals um, at or a little faster than the pace that you expect to run. So more like, you know, you might do four sets of fast 200 meters when you're prepping for a marathon. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sure. The idea there is just to maintain the nervous system activation. Sure. So you're telling your body like, Hey, we still want to be able to turn over. So here we're going to go turn over the legs. We're going to be fast, but we're just doing it for a very, very, very small amount. And the volume is so low of it that it doesn't really tax you. Mm. It's just stimulation. Right. Right. It's kind of like jumping on that assault bike and doing a 10 calorie sprint right before the open workout. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Just keep everything opened up and open up your lungs. I used to always laugh at people at the pre-marathon in the corral and in the dome when they're warming up. Yeah. People like the serious runners like Aaron, they'll go for runs before the race (laughs) and they'll come back running into the dome. And I'm like, dude, you're wasting it. (laughs) (laughs) I only have so much. I got to save it. Yeah. But they knew what they were doing. Yep. Awesome. So it's, um, so what's the best advice you can give the people who are starting off who don't necessarily know where that, um, cliff is? Yeah. So I think with this, it, it depends on how you trained and cause everybody has some sort of training plan, something they, they downloaded from the web or talked to talk to a friend and a friend was like, Oh, this worked for me. Let me give this to you. And, yeah. and you try it. And, you know, a lot of them are really basic plans where it's run, run two miles one day, run four miles the next day, run six miles. Crossroad. And then you've got your long run and then it goes back and adds a mile each week. And they're just building up volume to the race. Right. Yeah. So in a situation like that, they haven't practiced heart rate. They haven't practiced pacing. They haven't practiced all of this stuff. All they've really done is built volume. Right. And that's what most newbies to running at that point, you've just built volume. And so the way that you should go out <clears throat> in that race is probably similar to how you have been running, knowing that now the goal is just to finish the race at those paces. Right. Because this will be the day that you get to do the long run, the big long run, you know, because you had a half marathon plan that only took you to 10 miles before. Now you've got to carry it out to 13. And then maybe your goal for the next half marathon is to train now that you have the volume built up. Now you're paying attention to some of those other things, the pacing, the heart rate. You get to have a fast run each week and actually try to build speed then you can come at the race worrying about going over cliffs and stuff like that. Sure. But for the newbie, the newbie getting into the half marathon is really just building volume up and then trying to run the paces that they've been running in training. Before I forget, I just squirreled. I did get a message from somebody. They didn't ask it in the Facebook post, but they did offline ask me a question to ask you. Um, Okay. Intra... 
race fuel. <laughs> so I mean during the race. Yep. Um, yeah. She is. She is. She is really, really. She's doing all the carb stuff correctly leading up to it, but she's been doing, especially on her long runs where she just did uh, eighteen, I think, and she just had water and that was it, and she bonked. Oh yeah. And she's she's wondering if the gel packs didn't cut it. Um so she didn't like them? No, it didn't provide enough. Cuz of one oh. of her other runs it was like 12 or something and she tried them and it wasn't enough. Gotcha. So she's a full she's a 262 and she's about uh under just under trying to break 4 hours. Okay. So she's running a decent, probably like a 915, 920. So there. just for the, to translate for the noobs, you're basically saying the glucose uh, that you like eat or some type of carbohydrates that you eat during the race, like you're grabbing it from somebody. Correct. Or, and just to try to fuel that, that effort. And every once in a while, they have gel packs sponsored by Shields. Thanks, Shields. Plus, they have you know, every once in a while, there'll be a table that has jo- Jolly Ranchers. Like banana, like his bananas in That's that thing? That's at the that's at the end. Okay. Yep. So you don't need that intra race. Nope. No. So it's mostly just pure glucose of some some kind. Yeah, typically. Okay. So, okay, she's going full 26.2. So let's talk about this. 5K, you need nothing. No. 10K, you need nothing. It's really just about what you've eaten in the hours beforehand and the days beforehand. You want to make sure that you're fully hydrated and, and fueled up before you go into the race. And then you just go in and you crush it. Right. Um, best case scenario, you have a little bit of sugar probably within 10 minutes of the race just to bring your blood sugar up. Straight, so that you've like, got something to just call on. for the people in in Rio Linda. Not a donut. Not a donut. Sugar. Don't, yeah, donuts Not sugar and fat. Sugar. <laughs> sugar. Right. <laughs> Literally sugar. Like, you could have a teaspoon of sugar if you want. Yep. You just, or sugar cubes you just wanted from pure the glucose to keep your glycogen stores available, right? That's what we're just trying to replenish, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. But you're saying for the shorter distances, not necessary because what's in your body is plenty typically. Right. That's such a short and the, duration. the only reason you would do it right before the race is just to give yourself a little sugar spike. Okay. And that can um, – they've actually shown that that can improve performance. Even just the taste – of the sugar and spitting it out can improve your performance. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Interesting. Cause it stimulates the body's, um, processes around. Yeah. Cause the body uh, says, Hey, sugar's coming. Exactly. So now it wants to, it's, it's preparing to like utilize it yet. Yet Friday night, we'll see a, we'll see a thousand five cares at speakeasy eating a huge plate of spaghetti and olive garden you know? <laughs> and you just, just like, yeah you don't need carbo load bro <laughs> yep. you don't need a carbo load for your 45 minutes so we interrupted 5K. your explanation so yep, sorry no that's okay now that the 10k still you don't really need anything the half marathon is interesting um you just have to sniff some sugar just well the 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 faster you are uh the less likely you are to need anything. Mm. Yep. So most of the runners running a half marathon that are in those front corrals that are running, you know, an hour and a half, half marathon, hour, 45 minutes, they can get through. Um, if they, if they were training appropriately, they can get through without touching a thing inside of that half marathon. Okay. Even water in some cases. And they can race it. Yeah, they can race it without touching water. Yep. 
um, which is which is kind of cool. But most people me are going to want to put a few hundred calories in during the race and just before the race. Yep. At least generally speaking, when you're training, you're in that like 200 calorie per hour window or upwards of 250 to 300 for someone who's larger. Yep. And then I would say that's probably appropriate for a half marathon pretty much no matter what, unless you're going up to about three hours on feet. Sure. And, and that's, that makes sense for me because usually I eat really well leading up to the race that week and then pretty good the night before, but usually the nerves get the better of me and I eat something stupid. But um, <laughs> then when I wake up and I know Aaron's going to cringe cause I know better when I wake up, <laughs> it's electrolytes and water. I don't touch a calorie. Oh, I don't because I, I can't run out with anything in my stomach. I see the shame on his face. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I do everything better on an empty stomach. It doesn't matter if it's a CrossFit competition. We had a CrossFit competition about a month ago, and I did the whole thing until like 2.30 in the afternoon fasted. Oh, I just do wild. everything better without in my stomach. As soon as I eat, I'm slow and just sluggish and... I don't know. It's probably between my ears. But. Well, explain. So explain it on the full marathon. You never got to that as far as glucose needs. Sure. Yeah. So full marathon, you're going to be time on feet for a lot longer. Um, you're looking technically most people will need more than they can possibly absorb. Right. And this is where the, the carb loading comes into play. And generally speaking, the week before you want to be hydrating really well and eating enough, but not too much. Um, so you don't want to be in a diet phase right. leading not into in a deficit. your, yeah, yeah. You're saying don't eat at maintenance basically. Yeah. Say again, eat at maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be eating at maintenance that week. And then two days beforehand, you kind of elevate and the morning before is the big, that's the big feed. So if the race is so, Saturday, so 36 Friday hours, morning. 36 hours before. You're so saying? if the race is Saturday, Friday morning, Friday morning is when you go ham on the carbs. Okay. So Friday mornings, like ham on the ham. A giant, <laughs> a giant, yeah, a giant stack of pancakes, pretzels, things like that. Wow. And you can kind of wow. get salted up a little bit extra as well. Yeah, that's because my, you're going to need salt for a longer event like that. Right. Yeah, that's my that's Sodium, the other yeah. downfall. It has me at about mile eleven, usually stretching my calf on the curb. Yeah, we always want to talk about food, but food's only half the game. The other half is making sure you you've got your electrolytes. And yes. If you don't have your sodium, um, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how much sugar you put in. Yep. Yep. Uh, I and that's what ends up getting me every year. Whether it's my calf or my low back, I just, I cramp. And it's, you can see the white on my shirt and my arm and just the salt everywhere. And, <laughs> and, and then I cramp and I, then I act like it's a fucking surprise. Deer, <laughs> deer come up, they start licking them. <laughs> right? uh, I just get so pissed at myself and I know so it. So if you know, if you know that's true about yourself, what you can do is in the two days leading up to it, you can eat extra salt. 
oh, sip sure. on electrolyte sip on electrolyte stuff add a little extra salt to your food choose saltier foods in general go ham on the ham go ham on the ham exactly that's the day to have the deli meat right that's the one day that it won't crush my blood pressure <laughs> yeah awesome you're, you're gonna use it all and this is this is something that's so interesting it's often we go i see people go into events without having eaten a lot and then going into the event and expecting to keep up and if you if you have trained your gut to do so it's possible but it is insanely hard now if you go and every time you have a big event that you want to prepare for the night before or the the day before to some extent, that's when you have the free day. Sure. And it's like, okay, tomorrow's a two, three hour day. I'm going to crush it. Like today, I kind of feel like I need more or want more to eat. Eat it. Sure. Because tomorrow, it's only going to help. Yeah, we're not talking about trying to lose body fat here. We're talking about trying to fuel. Right. You need to fuel up and have it in time. store. Yeah. Yep. And so what happens on that day is you go and you eat all this extra food. Now, this is critical. You can't just eat anything. Like you go and eat a giant thing of mac and cheese. That's one giant ball of, of fat, right? right? Yep. Yep. Fat's not going to do you any good. It's nope. carbs. And this is where people get into trouble. It's like donuts aren't a carb. <laughs> no. Pizza is not a carb. Cake is not a carb. They have carbs, but they are not carbs. Yep. Right, because they're combination foods, so they end up being like 50% carb, 50% fat. So if you end up eating a lot of those foods, you end up getting a bunch of calories that aren't going to help you and not enough of the thing that you need. Right. So, okay, you want to have ice cream? Cool, make it light ice cream. That way it's heavy in sugar or sorbet or something like that, really heavy in sugar. Eat the Twizzlers. Have the gummy bears. A nope. giant, like pastas, pasta is cool, but what people don't realize is pasta is actually relatively low GI and kind of filling. Absolutely. And so you, you won't be able to eat enough pasta. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> that's just 1970s and eighties thinking. It's you the know. sausage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't end up being a great carb load. And the other thing that people don't realize about pasta is that it actually kind of, uh, Uh, so it helps make things more solid in your gut. So it's like really good for, oh, I'm having loose stools, but I want them to be a little thicker. Right. But it's not amazing at like, Feeling I want to feel race ready. Oh, yeah. it's way too slow. Yeah. Right. You end up feeling heavy in the gut area Yep. for that day. If you go and do that the night before. Yep. <laughs> so... You're better. You're actually better off chasing sugar the day before. And then when you put the sugar in, your body will actually put extra sugar into your muscles, the muscles that you've been using the most. Yep. And then on game day, guess what you get to call upon for help? Those reserves. Those reserves yeah. yeah. All of those reserves that you just built up. Yep. Makes sense. And you can do that anytime you want right so if you're going into if you plan on going into the gym tomorrow and like hitting it hard and hammering it 
today could be a big day. You could have the giant stack of pancakes in the morning. Right. Why not? I know I'm going to crush it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get do, well, to call upon those reserves. People and just actually, have to understand, you know, the goal. So if you know if you're trying to lose body fat, that's one conversation. And if you're trying to fuel this extreme level of performance, that's a different conversation requiring different inputs. You know, but people have to just be aware of what what their goal is and eat appropriately for that goal. And what a car well, is. Well, let's right. connect that actually. Let's say non-strongman athletes, right? <laughs> right. So the, the, the athletes that are just strictly about strength and power because yep. they're, they're just massive, right? Yeah. And they, they overeat constantly. <laughs> um, every, in most other sports, the athletes that perform and fuel for performance also look like it. Right. right. Yep. So – we we have to connect those two dots and not we we don't want to disconnect them right yep. because fueling for performance is fueling for an aesthetic and the aesthetic is shaped by the thing that you do so if you only run and you fuel to perform your running you turn into a runner a runner <laughs> right yeah and i think this is where you know you see someone like nick bear who he's getting smaller. He is getting real smaller. Yeah, because he's turning he is, so fast. But he's maintaining a physique right. in fueling to perform and continuing to stimulate muscle. The physique is getting better. <laughs> and the it well, it depends on where what you like, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And he, he's lost some bulk, but yeah, you're not seeing some any people, of the beast. Some at people the front would of look at him race. and say, "Oh, well, he's he's getting small." And some people would look at it and go, "Wow, that's he looks really good." Yeah, I'm, you know, and as a runner, I would love to look like that. Right. Yeah, and, and run a hope, hopefully, and for him, a two forty nine, which which would be incredible at his at two hundred pounds, or he's under that now. But yeah, he's got to be like one ninety, one ninety, maybe in the one eighties now for sure. Yep. Because he he ran the three hour. Uh, what was it? Two fifty something. Or seven, yeah. He ran that, and I think he was weighing in at one ninety four ish oh, okay. Okay. like up and down but he still benches almost 400 and <laughs> which is insane yeah and he can still run like that but he's a yeah. he's a he's a he's a hybrid athlete that's for sure there's unicorns yeah. out there right. and, and so that's and the that's the thing like you trains. can you can shape it through the stimulus right and and then fuel the work right yep, yep. now if you have weight to lose that's where we get into being in a slight deficit and then allowing yourself to lose some weight while you're doing it. Right. But if you if you don't necessarily have weight to lose, it's figuring out how to do the work and and fuel in a way that increases your performance because increasing the performance will naturally change your aesthetic. Right. So you're talking about the fueling and the stimulus. Now, if yeah. you underfuel too hard, which some people love to do, like uh, Steffi Cohen, do you know yeah. her? Yeah. Yep. Her favorite thing to do is go hard. Right. Because she wants to get it over with. Right, right. And then she returns to fueling. But the thing is, she understands when I'm in this crazy hard deficit, I can't push myself in the gym. Right. She's the one and that, so that she, works with Matt Fraser, right? Um, they were working together, oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, but she 
you know, in that moment, she understands she has to pull everything else back while she's in that deep dive. And then once she starts fueling again, pick the performance right back up. Sure. And those two have to go hand in hand. Right. All right, Aaron. We gotta we gotta wrap it up here. We've been going for. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. No, no, we could do a is, yeah. We could, could do a, a separate a second show on the nutrition. Yeah. Part. If I don't if I don't stop us, we'll keep talking forever here. Um, what I want want you to do is tell people uh, you know where you can be reached if people are interested in possibly working with you, and what's the best way to reach out to you. Yeah. So on my Facebook, just Aaron Zanke, or through Instagram at uh, the Freedom Calories account. Yep, there, which we have Those up on the screen. The Yep, and I'll put it. I'll put all that in the show notes as well. Um, He's yep. followed by a couple cool talents there. <laughs> yeah, there's a nice picture of some uh, six pounds of roast beef, so I like that. Oh yeah, that's what I decided to cook here. I'm in Colorado for a month, so that was one of my ways to get my protein in. Awesome. A month forever, you mean? Awesome, yeah. All I right. know forever. <laughs> Aaron, we really appreciate you joining us today and giving us all this uh, super valuable information. Hopefully, we'll, people will put it to use. And you know, I want to hear from Dewey here how he does. And actually, now you can't say he doesn't know. He, he won't after race day. He doesn't get to say he doesn't know because he knows all this <laughs> shit. So yeah, I want to I want to hear about how he actually applied it. Uh, yeah, when, when he gets done, the, I think the biggest consideration for anybody going into a race. Um, especially in the half marathon and marathon distance is start off slightly slower than you want to go and then pick up the pace to the pace that you want to run. And then about halfway to two thirds through the race, check in with yourself and decide whether you're going to fight for it just to stay where you're at. Or if you can actually pick up the pace, negative splits are always the goal where you end faster than you start. Right. It doesn't mean you're going to get it, Mm -hmm. but that's, if you target that you'll run the best race. I'm sure everybody has the experience where they, they have that person like blow by them in the beginning. Yep. And then you see them later where they're huffing and puffing and you're just like running right by them. Nice and steady tortoise in there. You want to be the tortoise. <laughs> right. You will run your best race as the tortoise, not the hare. Aha. That's a good way to end it. I need to, yeah. And and, and, and I think what will be the game changer for me is the electrolytes, the salt, and, and the hydration leading up to it. Because that's what that's what ends up biting me in the ass. Yep. All right. Yeah, that, well, that's what sustains you to get to the end of the race, you know? Right. Got to have that fuel in the tank, baby. Got it. All right, Aaron, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'll put all your links in the show notes. And everybody else, we will see you next time thank you guys